This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show like them at patreon.com slash the tome show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for February of 2023. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, Spoilers Be Damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is Empire of Exiles by Aaron M. Evans. And with us, as always, is Eric Paquette. Hello, hello. How are you guys doing? I'm tired. <laughs> but okay. I have, but I'm on spring break in like two weeks, so cool. And, and since you've already mentioned time, I, I'm doing about uh, as well as we're recording in March a February book club. Yes, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that 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 seems that, that that is a, a, an apt metaphor for how how we're doing. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next episode, which we'll record towards the end of March, so I better get cracking on that book, uh, we'll be reading Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, Road to Neverwinter by Jelly Johnson. And a month later, we'll also read the other movie tie-in book, The Druid's Call. I find it, it's, it's like it's, I don't know, five years ago all over again with uh, Jelly Johnson and Aaron Evans, one right after another. It's like the, the, the heyday of D&D novels. Definitely. Before we get started, I want to say thank you to our patrons that help pay the bills. You can help, too, by going to patreon.com slash thetomeshow and offering as little as a dollar a month. That helps uh, pay the, the, the fees to keep the show going and, and all kinds of funness. So, now on to the book. Let's talk about Empire of Exiles. Uh, I saw a tweet from Tracy uh, about the book today. <laughs> Um, so I know that her experience was at least in some ways similar to mine. Um, I guess, long story short, um, it took a while to wrap your head around the setting, uh, is my assessment of what Tracy said. And that was my experience as well. But once you kind of grokked the whole thing, it turned out to be really good. Yeah. And the thing that came to my mind in terms of, like, I guess a metaphor for it is my, apparently my grandfather uh, used to like to take, uh, my mom's father would take the kids out to the middle of the lake and in a boat and then just throw them overboard and tell them to swim. And I don't mean it in a bad way for, for this book, but I felt a little bit like that because this is a brand new world. It's not based on anything like D&D or where I've maybe have already soaked in some of the stuff about it even if I hadn't read a novel in that world before uh and there are some things that are similar to maybe some other books I've read but not a lot mm-hmm. and so and it just goes right into it like we're we're put in the middle of this conspiracy to a coup and all of this stuff with very fantasy elements uh like not it's not just medieval like maybe there's some fairies or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like fantasy uh, and we're kind of left to try to figure it out. And even the people that we might, that are closest, like usually in a lot of those books, they'll have someone who's like a complete outsider that doesn't understand stuff. Um, we have a little bit of that with Quill because he's not, because most of the beginning of the book takes place in the archives. And we'll talk about that more later. So I know even as we describe the book, we're doing this to people. 
Um, <laughs> but he still lives in that world, so it's yeah. not all a mystery to him. Yeah, it's it, just the archives that's the mystery. You know, and, and, and there's some. I mean, there's a lot of the setting that I still don't think I understand, and it's always yeah. it's always like like I. It, by the time I got to like, I don't know, I think it was broken up into different parts. By the time I got to part two, I knew and I understood what I needed to to really enjoy the story. Yeah. But there was also, but like, you know, you don't have the touchstones of, of standard D&D style fantasy of elves and dwarves and whatever. You have um, the Orizondi, Anz Orizondi, that have horns and a third eye that can see into the dark. The, I'm putting quotes around dark, uh, which is like a spirit vision or a sight or whatever. Uh, and then you also have... Um, I don't even remember their names because we didn't have any main characters who were from this. The the people that were basically human from the waist up and had tentacles um, instead of legs. That that I think there was some indicator that they had a somewhat somewhat aquatic uh, background, which I suppose makes sense. And then so far was as I can tell, was that uh, the Karazi? Was that another one of the? People? I don't know. I don't. I I honestly don't know. Um, and that's part, that's part of what's going on. And then as far as I can tell, everybody else was human. It was also the changelings that were... Oh, I suppose, yes. Uh, I was, I guess, of the Empire, everybody else is human. Uh, I guess, maybe. Like, there, Quill is referred to as something specific. Was it like a dark blind? Yeah. Uh, well, and there's it, even a special, there's even a special, yeah, yeah. So, so, so some of them can't see the like have the dark side or they're blind to it. I, I couldn't quite understand what it meant fully, and uh -huh. it's probably because like if I go and reread it, it probably would help. Um, mm. But trying to capture capture all of it as we are listening, um, and then also the ruling class is its own as we find out at the end of the book. And the huge well, spoiler, huge spoiler, their own thing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, although I had had the thought that. Um, that that was a, a distinct possibility in the world. Very right. early, well, about halfway through when we find out who the Shrike is, and we were like, oh, that person has a kid. And so I was immediately starting to think, of, are, are there are there half uh, races out there? Um, well, yes. Well, Quill is one. Quill is one as well? I'm looking at the Dranius persona right now. I'm not sure if the... Uh... Does the audiobook have the Dramatist persona? I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember. remember. It, there's a long, long list of characters. I knew, like, oh my god, this is going to be a, a detailed, lots of yeah. characters that could be worthwhile to reread just to get. But, like, because there's in, in normal text, there's like 11 pages of Dramatist persona. On yeah, this so, and, and, and maybe it makes sense to talk about the complexity of the book to explain why it's actually sometimes hard to explain the book. So there's the complexity of it is its own world that mm -hmm. we have probably never really seen before and doesn't have a lot of analogous parts to things that we may have already read. So that's one complexity. Um, another complexity is very character driven. Um, so and like you said, has like the I guess you said seven pages of uh, eleven pages. Of people. I mean, goes from A to was, does it go to Z? Yeah, A to Z or A to Z for Americans right. of, of, of all the characters, all of them medical. So you're 
literally when you look at the Dora Minutes Perdone, you're not too sure who's going to be and, major yeah. characters or not, which is, and, which is good. And even among primary characters, I think it's at least half a dozen, and we see them in different, like, we actually see their different perspectives from time to time. And then on top of it, there's two timelines. Yes. And you, but, you, but you don't necessarily realize that there's two timelines until, like, two-thirds or three-fourths of the way through the book. Yeah, and then if you do the audiobook, there's there's an accent. And it's I actually end up liking it at the end, but at the beginning I started wondering, like, is the accent making it hard for me to understand the, mm. the book? And I don't mean that any negative against, like, but, and I was like, why, why did they pick this person? And then as things built and it got long later, I liked it a lot. I liked that person. I like, this person's actually perfect for this. But at the beginning, I couldn't tell because it was also hard with all of those characters to actually have, and only one person reading, have enough difference in the voice mm-hmm. to catch who was saying what sometimes. See, I didn't have that issue. I just wondered how often am I just too dense or because I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm usually doing other things that I miss a thing. Is that why I don't understand the different Wait. peoples of the Empire? Um, you know... And, and yeah, so so there's all these different people. Like I think at one point they described that there are there were ten people, ten peoples that made up the empire, ten different nations that made up the empire. Um, but so far as I can tell, eight of them are human, and the the other two are these other things. Um, and so there's the ancestries that are different, mm-hmm. like the, the talking through like the the different uh, types of humanoids and stuff. And then there's also these affinities. Yes. So some people, but not everyone, may have an affinity, and I don't still don't quite get exactly how everything works, but they have affinity to different types of things. So some of it might be bronze. One person, one of the key people, it's ink, and that's like a brand new one that nobody's really seen before. Well, and that, that's a new one to her people. Right, new one to... Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, to her people. Um, but they can make people they can change people like not change people but people will act differently when they're near the thing that they're they have an affinity to and mm-hmm. not always in a positive way yes no i i um my the way at least based on what we know right um the way that i sort of created the metaphor in my head to understand what the affinities were like um, and how they worked, given that we don't know very little about how they work and we haven't actually seen them do much, at least until like the very end. Um, what it was, I kind of likened it to, um, to Avatar, to, to, to bending, um, but with very, very specific, you know, materials. So you can, you can bone bend, but that's it. Just bone, you know? Right. Um, and, and the interaction with people's emotions and feelings, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a purely just affinity-based. It felt like there was also a component that was beyond that. But that felt kind of like hormone fluctuations yeah. to me. No, absolutely. <laughs> well, because it, it, like the, there's the, the, risk of, the increased risk of spiraling as your affinity sort of comes into alignment or whatever. Uh, that, yeah, that, alignment, yeah. Right, that, that very much felt like uh, a metaphor for, like, menstruation or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Erin Evans in her acknowledgments mentions that one of her ideas that she had for the magic system was making a magic system that felt like an anxiety disorder. Oh. So. Yeah. 
Excellent. I don't know how well, but basically you mentioned about hormones, those feelings, different feelings, different mm -hmm. stuff. Maybe. So, yeah. And for what it's worth, by the way, Eric, um, I checked a lot of times the audiobooks come with like an accompanying PDF with stuff like that. This one doesn't. Uh, I actually, um, I know from having read Erin's books before, uh, when she was writing D&D novels, that she has had things on her website that were like little encyclopedias or gazetteers uh, or the dramatist personae or whatever to help people trying to get into the books to understand what's a dragonborn and how do tieflings work and all that kind of stuff. It's just little like definitions or, or descriptions or whatever. Uh, and I, at one point I got about halfway through this book. And I'm like, you know, I could really use that right now. And I went and checked and she doesn't have that on her website, but apparently it was in the, the accompanying materials that I didn't get. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a lot of characters, lots of those. Uh, read it completely. I started rereading it beforehand. I got about a quarter of the way in before going, mm -hmm. but it does prove when you get to after you so there's that next to the, the book and mm. more information and all that and then when you start understanding the world so the, this is a wonderful world that Aaron Evans has it's, yeah it's really interesting like uh, there's a lot going on here I feel like this could be a D&D &D campaign setting uh, obviously yeah. you'd have to, to, to come up with different ancestries and whatever for instead of elves and dwarves and halflings um, it, it, it doesn't escape me that Erin Evans is probably best known for her Brimstone Angel series, wherein she wrote about tieflings. And in this series, one of the main characters is a, a coming-of-age girl with horns. Um, and then, oh, I forget the name of the character from Brimstone Angels, but Quill totally reminded me of the priest-type, like the cleric-type oh, character. Oh, uh, Doll? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It was Doll and was the other one Doll was the old Harper. Doll was the old Harper, if I remember correctly. Okay. Oh, right. I'm, I'm impressed I'm re correctly remembering names from that long ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> outside of, you know, Meehan and, and uh, Farida. <laughs> so. Um, so, I think it's kind of fitting that we went so into the details of the individual things that, like, and we haven't talked about, about the story. The world building and stuff, given this book. Mm hmm. At its core, it's about intrigue, but it's a mystery. Yeah. And you basically get a bunch of archivists with a guy that usually helps run errands between stuff, right? Trying to solve this mystery that uh, threatens the core of the empire. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really entirely sure what the role of the was the the Perini, That's the organization he's part of. I'm not right. entirely sure what their role is in the Empire, because they sometimes serve as scribes or messengers or whatever. Um, right. But you have a very, very ordered Empire, right? It's an Empire that, that has very strict, like, you're part of this order. You're the or in the Order of Archivists. And so your job is to archive all the books and artifacts and keep track of them and catalog them and study them. And they're kind of scholars, but they're scholars for the Empire, right? Uh, then there's the Parami that are the the um uh, the scribes and the messengers uh and they have to swear an oath uh and then there's the the vigilance which are the the law enforcement um and so there's yeah there's very specific and strict organizations and orders to these things 
even among the ruling the rulers, right? They have these masks, yeah. and the different color masks mean they're on different types of business. So they're very compartmentalized. You're not wearing many hats. You're just wearing this one mask that says it's personal, it's official, and I have one secretive. Right. The black mask, <laughs> so which is and you don't and you don't there. see me. You didn't see me here. That's not a thing that happened. <laughs> you're talking about right. And what I what I don't quite understand what I don't quite know is so. What happened about 27 years ago was there was this massive... Well, before that, there had been um, the... What was it called? Fratricide? Like, the the one brother killed the other and, and no. the other's family. Uh, much like uh, in Russia when the was it, Tsar was killed, they believed that maybe one of the daughters continued to survive. Mm-hmm. Um someone rose up and said this is the, this is the true heir i'm going to support her i'm going to back her and so there's this entire like coup that happens or attempts to happen and that person brings in the changelings and the, these are creatures that can take shapes of different people and also can be given memories so to the point that they might not know that they're not um the person that right. That everyone thinks that they are, which is very. Oh, what's the name of the sci-fi series? There's one that has that. Um, it's a little uh, Battlestar Galactica. Th- that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm also thinking of the, the traditional Fey changelings, where the Fey yeah. grab grab a kid and replace it with a changeling of right. a of. Oh, and and the changelings the changelings like evoke a little bit of feyishness because um, they they also have an intolerance to iron and salt uh, and so yeah. you know um, at one point even before I think the fratricide there was a great war between the changelings and what would become the empire and some specialist uh, with an affinity for salt like allowed herself to spiral and do great and, and terrible magics, basically embedding herself in what would become the great salt wall that, that divides the changelings from the empire. And so the empire today in the book is a much smaller, like it's all those people came into this area within the salt wall, right? Mm. Um, and now they live in a much smaller space altogether. And maybe that's why they're small. Be, yeah. And it's it's not small. Yeah, you're right. It's not small, small, but it's well, much smaller than that they had before. I'm not. I'm not sure. Either the empire is pretty darn small, or the capital of the empire just happens to be decently close to the salt wall because they travel right. there in less than a day. <laughs> yeah. On horseback, so. Right, but it, they're definitely more condensed than they were before the salt wall was needed and everything, because they had to bring all of the artifacts into that area. Because everything outside the salt wall was lost to them. Mm-hmm. So, so that's more setting building, world building that we're te- that we're telling you yeah, yeah. Uh, all up front of things that we learned throughout the whole thing. The actual Wait. story, as Tracy had started to get into, starts with uh, Brother Sisquilio, known as Quill, um, who is a Parami, one of these these scribes and messengers or whatever, who has gone to the archives to. Uh, formally you know deliver a request from somebody important um somebody in the ruling class for certain artifacts and this raises some eyebrows because those artifacts are associated with that 
Great Rebellion, where they found, you know found um, a, the long lost descendant of the rightful ruler and and um, all of that, right? And so that starts to raise some some eyebrows, uh, and then. I feel like you get to where the the real story starts in that there is a party and people are, are murdered. And one of Quill's friends, who is also a Paremi and was on this, this task with him, as I recall, um, when Quill runs into the room, sees the, the carnage and sees his friend standing there with a the bloody knife in his hand, and his friend mutters some arcane phrase and then kills himself, implying that he was the murderer and he can't handle what he just did and kills himself. And then the whole rest of the book is this, this political intrigue-laden murder mystery of trying to figure out who did it and why they do it and what was going on. Right. Uh, and I was just about the time that we got about halfway through the book, I was developing a pretty strong theory as to who the uh, this this legendary assassin the shrike that they're looking for was um and then literally later in that same chapter when i made the conclusion that this is who the shrike is um that person wound up dead so aaron fooled me (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was going to be end up being quill's boss uh Right. Who was oh, yeah. in, who was injured but not killed, uh, but but then ended up ended up dead uh, by hanging, you know, to make it made to look like he killed himself. But he had all the all the suspect things going on in his ledger um, that was never really. That's a thread that's still out there. So um, I don't know if that'll be revisited in the next book. Right. Well, because part of it, so part of it, uh, part of the mystery centers on the request. So somebody requests these four types of artifacts that are in this big archives. Uh, and one was the flail. Mm-hmm. One the, the, the was, flail and, and the flail ends up being the important one, really. Well, so does oh. the arm of the Karatsi because that was not really Karatsi and was a changeling right potentially although that gets kind of weird because i'm not i didn't quite catch from like there was a lot going on so i didn't quite Uh catch what actually happened there well and then i i don't remember were the statues part of that request as well because those statues were the fourth item that weren't actually part of Karatsi's original request so somebody added that on and i and i can't remember if it was the statues or something else that had the vials of dried changeling blood changeling blood which ends up being important you discover i don't know a third of the way through the book that um changeling blood can be used to create a poison that allows you to insert memories into people um you just give them the a shot basically of this stuff uh and then tell them what they remember and they just remember it as if it's something that they i do remember being sort of discovered or on the lead of that when they were investigating and interrogating folks a bunch of folks were having telling the exact same story and and not just this i mean not just telling the same story it was word for word yeah the exact same sort of script that they were sharing 
And I love how you have this other character when, when they start talking about how weird it is that they're all saying exactly... Like, I would have thought in a murder case that it would be good that everyone had to see yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. er, and and er, and, and early on, uh, the the vigilant Reacher is that his name? I see. I, don't, I, don't, I only have the audio to go by, and and so I can only guess sometimes. Right. I know. Is I don't. I, I, I think his first Mr. name was Reacher. Was that a vigilant? Maybe he was. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's he's very important at the end too. Yeah, but he he was sort of investigating the he was the the official investigator of the murders, uh, and and he and it, and it was supposed to be like well, it was it was you know he was getting ready to quit for the night and then this thing fell in his lap and now I got to go deal with this but it looks at least it looks like a pretty open and shut case and then he starts getting you know just trying to check the check the the boxes and, and fill out the paperwork and so I got to make sure I. I talk to the witnesses and he talks to the witnesses and then realizes they're all telling the exact same word for word story. And suddenly what looks like a open and shut case becomes really suspect. Yeah. Um, over time, you eventually, as the mystery unfolds, figure out that um, everybody at the party was dosed with, um, was it called still wax? Um, it was sort of some sort of drug that they put in the in the the wine carafes that made everybody sleepy. Uh, and then while they were knocked out, they were poisoned with changeling blood or the the venom of changelings. Um, and that all leaves like an interesting mark yeah. afterward, so that you can easily identify if you happen to see the mark. Right. Which, of course, you also then come to the conclusion very early. And, and it was assumed, or later on you get some, some clues that this was actually done by this legendary assassin from back when the, the, coup, the attempted coup happened called the Shrike. Um, but who could possibly be around that could, that could possibly be the Shrike? Nobody knows who the Shrike is. Even the people who employed the Shrike back in the day and today don't know who the Shrike is because the Shrike uses changeling blood to change all their memories so they can't remember who they are. Uh, but we got our first clue because one of the people that was um, injured but not killed in the murder is one of the, um, the uh, types of people with the horns and the third eye and inst who instinctively looked at the killer with their third eye. And while their memory was this boy from the Paremi attacked me. Um, their memory from their their third eye was no, that was a woman because they didn't bother to change the memory of sort of that that sixth sense third third eye sense sort of um, vision. Uh, and so yeah, so then then the mystery really becomes so. So who's the Shrike, right? Um, uh, and, and it makes a lot of sense very early on. You figure out that, well, of course, whoever the Shrike is that did all of this would have also injected themselves. Um, because then, well, I've got one of those bruises, too. i got one of those marks, too. So I'm not a suspect. But they couldn't figure out how because everyone had had it where they couldn't easily reach it and give it to themselves. And then one of them one of the main characters kicks, I think it was an imp? 
or something like that. Well, there and, was a there was a cat that was that was called. Okay, it. that was that was it. Yeah. yeah. And then they realized how they could how it could have happened. Uh, at one point, I think uh, uh, Reacher. It was it was I forget the head archivist woman's name. She's one of the four main characters. Um, Imagine. Uh, was that? Amadia? Adema? Amadia? Amadia, I think is how they pronounced it in the, yeah. yeah. Um, it was her cat, and, and Reacher comes over to talk to her at one point, um, and the cat is there, and she calls the cat Imp, and he's like, well, that's a weird name for a cat, and it's short for palimpsest or, or you know, something like that. So, which, which then is the, like, palimpsest is... Um, part of the title of the last chapter of the book too so that stood out to me um and then we should talk about what we learned about amadea yeah so, so yeah go ahead no you can go ahead no i've talked too much all right so she's an archivist but she also like has this weird relationship with most many of the others in the archives she's kind of like this leader I don't want to say quite mother figure, but she she usually knows how to to help get people along to where they need to go, and eventually it comes out that she is that lost heir, or she was she is the person that the Karatsi put up as the lost heir. Yeah, well, and, you say the Karatsi, so it was one of the Karatsi. I think the Karatsi is just like the family name of the ruling class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the one who tried to to do the coup. Right, the one that tried to do the coup. Um, had uh, uh, Rodolfo? I think so. That feels right. Rodolfo sounds familiar. Yeah, I yeah. Think Rodolfo Carazzi was, was the one who attempted the coup. Um, and Tarot like the Carazzi's or early, yeah, they they and I know it's the family name, but usually they a lot of times they mean Rodolfo. <laughs> Well, but but I mean, a stripper, right? Ibramo is also a Karazzi, and and yeah, the, yeah. The, the Empress is a Karazzi, who I totally did not expect to show up in the book, and then we the Empress is there multiple times, right? Um, yeah. But so, yeah, yeah. So, she, so yeah, Amadea she, is the the supposed long lost heir that was put up to take over during the coup, right? And which and and what's kind of interesting about her is. She, she doesn't know if she really is, or if she is an orphan that they use the curse of the changeling type thing to to give her the memories of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I and going jumping all the way to the end of the book, what I think is kind of cool is she finds out a way in which she could know the answer to that, mm-hmm. and she chooses not to learn it. Right. Yeah. No. Um... Well, and but not because of her own curiosity. It wasn't. It wasn't like she was comfortable enough with who she was that it didn't matter, and she didn't want to find out because of that. It was because of the implications of if that is who I am, it would throw the empire into turmoil, and she didn't want to do that to the empire. Right. Um, Which it's kind of weird because it doesn't have to, right? Like she could still know. And, and it's not, not tell anyone. anything, right? right. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think she would feel like she would have some duty if she is. She would She would have the duty to be okay. This is who I am. I have to do this. Right. Type thing. Well, and, 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 and uncertain. 
she can not go a duty. Right. And part of there's there's an interesting relationship between her and the throne anyway. Um so w- during her time with Rodolfo, during the, the attempted coup, um, she was hanging out a lot with Rodolfo's son, Ibramo, and they fell in love. And then after the whole thing was over, the coup was over and it failed, um, Ibramo became the Empress's consort. And so... Part of the arrangement was like, you're going to change your name. You're going to go work in the archives. You and Abrahma will never have any contact with each other. And they basically didn't until now, 27 years later. Um, yeah, well, and she'd also had gotten pregnant and had a miscarriage and everything yes. too. So like, there's there's some heavy stuff there yeah. that could upset power structures and stuff like that. But what's interesting to me is, I mean, in real, in our world, right, we've had a long history of people who could have had, um, like, we have a history of people who did have a claim to the throne that tried for it, but we also have other people who could have tried but didn't, right? Right. So even it, and I, and she could still feel duty and all that, but she wouldn't necessarily have to try to claim the throne or, or, or stuff like that, and nobody, but other people could decide to take the claim up for her, but I don't really see that happening overly if she doesn't yeah. want to. I mean, well, and part of the issue is that theoretically, at the end, Rodolfo is still out there. Right. And she knows that memories and people's minds can be changed. Um, so I suppose it would make sense just to leave it ambiguous, just to remove all right. temptation. But the reality is, is like that can happen even if she doesn't know whether uh, the truth is. <laughs> and, and very well could. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we did find, and the reason why we know that she could find, she could figure out the truth if, if she's the orphan or the, the actual lost heir, Mm -hmm. is that a long, long time ago, the changelings and, uh, I think humans or whomever the ruling class is from, they did intermarry and they're hybrid, so. Right. So there is some changing blood in the ruling class. So, yeah, they're, they're mostly human. Their blood still bleeds red instead of green like the changelings does. Um, but they they bled into a pile of salt and eventually it started to spark and smoke, um, which was their sign. And this ended up being news to the Empress as well. There's like one person in the family at any given time that knows the, this family secret uh, and passes on the knowledge. And there's a whole thing about that because now it has to be the Empress's daughter, <laughs> one daughter right. that will take that on when it's her time. And the Empress is very not happy about this at right. all. Yeah. So now we've talked about, well, we've kind of talked about all four of our main characters. The the four main characters, if, if you're going to form a party, uh, you've got the Vigilant, you've got Amadea, uh, the head archivist. You've got uh, Quill, the Paremi, the young, the young kid who kind of got mixed up in this uh, and, and mostly refused to not look into it because it was his like good friend or best friend or whatever that was blamed for the murder and killed himself. Um, and then there's, what's her name? The specialist, the ink specialist. It starts the, I think it starts with an A. At least in my headcanon spelling, it started with an A based on the way it was pronounced. 
And I'm blanking on her name too. Yeah. But I know somebody has maybe still have the book with the list of people. Uh, <laughs> Seven pages of people. Seven pages. A lot of people. The ink specialist. Who was the ink specialist again? The ink person, if that helps at all. Darn. I thought it might be in the in the description, but I think the only person named in the description is Quill. And this was something like I look. I read some of the reviews after. I think I was well after I started realizing I had I was having a little difficulty, but then definitely after I read the book, um, and just the, trying to keep track of the number of different people and their names. And I have I have a really hard time with names because of like my ADHD and stuff. So mm -hmm. it's super hard for me. But I usually just I I I, I recognize them by the concept. So oh, that's the ink person or. Right. <laughs> The ink person who's the Orizondi with the horns and the third eye. Yeah. And and on top of it, so many people in this book have different names, have multiple names. Yeah. Oh, that, and th that seems to be a theme that everybody has. A lot of people have multiple names or they have nicknames. You know, brother, really? brother Sisquilio is just Quill, but also Amadea is possibly like, uh, was it Illyriana or whatever the... the um, yeah. Possible claimant to the throne. Um, Yenny. Who? Yenny. Yenny. It's a Y, not an A. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, Yenny. so Yenny is the other one, and she's she's our, our magic person. She's our specialist, and her specialty is ink, um, which mostly we don't see come into play uh, from almost the entirety of the book. There was, like, one moment where she's trying to protect somebody and so she like uses her ink affinity to remove a signature off of a letter or something so they don't see who it's from um until the end uh the end of the book sort of you know you you figure out who the shrike is it was the the mother of of quill's uh, uh colleague i guess of the premi who was sort of this this lazy didn't really want to be there spoiled rich kid right um and, and had the protective mother all along who was witness to the murders and, and all that uh, the, the kid was. And then, so the mother insisted on being there during the interrogation and that kind of stuff. And then it turns out that the mom was the shrike all along. Kidnaps Quill, um, makes the demands, you know, if you want the Quill to make it out of this thing, you're going to bring us the stuff that we, that we originally requested way back at the beginning of the book. We'll meet you over here by the salt wall. Uh, which, you know, was a, a leisurely afternoon stroll to get to. Because uh, <laughs> apparently the salt wall is very, very close. Um, and they get down into some ruins there. And in an effort to save Quill, we get to see our first, like see on camera, our first big moment of like crazy magic. Um, where Yanni is trying to save Quill and uh, Vigilant Reacher, well, I guess ex-Vigilant ex at that point, Reacher, um, by making ink out of their enemy, 
she makes the 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 shrike into ink, and she you can, she goes through this process in her head of like, well, what do you need to make ink? Well, you need some sort of solvent. Uh, water works pretty well, but fat's even better, and we need you know something to create a dye, and we can get that from the blood. And she just starts drawing all these things out of this this woman and turns her inside out, and then starts like collapsing the tunnels, drawing water, and and oh, she can set things on like. It turns out, like you, you think about all these affinities. Like, well, I, I suppose a bronze affinity could be could be powerful if there's enough bronze around. Bone affinity definitely seems like it could be a big deal if you got into a fight, right? You don't think of ink affinity being particularly useful, but they make it a point throughout the novel to point out exactly where ink comes from. Oh, this ink, you know, she's a specialist, right? She's a scholar, and she talks about, oh, well, this ink is from the char of this plant mixed with this kind of oil or whatever. And then, you, it, so it's very important early on in the book that you start to understand how ink is made because it'll, it explains why she's able to, like, tear shit up when, when she starts spiraling uh, with her ink affinity. So are you saying the pen is mightier than the sword? Uh, it seems that, I mean, yes. Although I don't because know. they try to kill the, the the person you're talking about, right? Like there's a few different cases where like somebody hits her in, in uh-huh. the face and all this other stuff, and it all fails. But then the ink, ink making the time. Ink. Yep. <laughs> no, absolutely. So so yeah, that was a that was our our really that was our not only was it a climax to the story, but it was um, our first real like we saw somebody's spiraling with their bronze affinity at one point um which i feel like was was done to serve a couple purposes it helped us discover the changeling blood but it also showed us what happens when somebody spirals in this case yanni seemed to like spiral on purpose right spiraling is just embracing the power of your magic so much that you lose control and you lose a a sense of separate identity between your affinity and yourself. So Yanni goes into this whole thing like, no, 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 the ink is me. I'm the ink. We're, we're, we're all the same thing, you know? Um, And, and this is when people spiral, like it gets out of control and they are known for like destroying themselves by just, um, you know, drowning themselves in the ink or encasing themselves in a salt wall or the bronze or whatever. Right, and I mean, it felt very close to, like, if you have anxiety, like, so for some people when they have anxiety, it's like the looping process, and it kind of just builds on each other, and it can become much larger than than what the thing started with, and stuff like that. And then the other interesting thing is that in World, there are the stories about some of these saints, and some of these saints actually, like, the salt wall, like we were talking about earlier, I think, that was part of a, a, probably a spiral from a person that had salt affinity and building it and, and creating it together. Um, and then we also had met, in addition to the people that had affinities that, you know, in the other parts of the book, I'm forgetting her name right now, but the, the sand person. Festrita of the glass? Yeah. yeah. And the person that had that, she had that affinity to sand and she could make glass and all of this stuff and mm-hmm. she could do really powerful stuff with it. I mean, you get the impression that, like, the coup, the attempted coup that Rodolfo put on, there may have been only, like, half a dozen people involved in this coup. But <laughs> but Frustrata of the Glass she is known as not – she doesn't have an affinity. She's not a specialist. She's known as a sorcerer. Uh, right. and, and what we learn is that the sorcerers and possibly the saints, it, it's 
unclear whether or not there's actually a clear distinction between a sorcerer and a saint. Um, but the sorcerers just sort of live their life constantly in alignment, uh, right. const constantly on the edge of spiraling, which means they, they constantly have this, this immense power available to them that could also destroy them at, at, at any given moment. Uh, Frustrated of the Glass was it was it was it, it was an interesting scene going to see Frustrated of the Glass because it was a little bit like like a lot of I, I don't know I like to do the trope in my D and D campaigns where um, where there's the unexpected source of information that's gonna that's gonna suddenly bring everything into clarity right uh, the, uh, and, it, and it's the super ultra powerful possibly evil source of information. Uh, which is frustrating, but it's also very much um, it's that scene from one of the X-Men movies where they go and see Magneto and they keep him in the glass prison and they have to be very careful that no metal gets in. Um, right. You know, they make everybody take off their shoes so that not a single grain of sand can make it into Frustrata's prison because once they didn't used to do that, but she quickly or slowly, I guess, gathered up like individual grains of sand just a few at a time until she had enough to make a knife and try to kill one of the guards and escape. Well, she even has this whole thing where, like, yeah, they used to think the sand wasn't a big deal either, but now you have to take your shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it was interesting, too, because you used the word climax in terms of the, the ink thing, but there was still at least an hour, if not more, in the book, audiobook. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I, it's actually, happened? it's one of the things I wanted to mention. Like, you know, you learn about the the story the narrative arc or whatever uh in in when you're in like middle school or high school or whatever about how you know rising action falling action whatever the denouement at the end uh but usually a denouement at the end of a story is just sort of a, a quick little epilogue you know and then they all went off and lived happily ever after and you get you get a couple of pages there was a full hour of falling action in this book and oftentimes when i've seen like the Lord of the Rings has a long falling action as well, and it drags a little bit. Um, this this falling action didn't drag; like it was just con a continuation of the story, and and I was in it. Like it was it was really uh, really well done. I was impressed. Yeah, and it did set up the potential next book in terms of there is a journey that has to take place, um, and a few other things. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's potential. I think she was contracted for multiple books because no, I, no, she is. Hey, I just yeah. don't know what the next book is about. So it could be the next uh -oh. book, or it could be book three for book, all I know. Oh, right? sure, sure, sure. I was gonna say because because I while I was listening to this book, um, I, I happened to be friends with Erin Evans on Facebook from from our years of interviewing her um, in the past. And she, while I was reading this book or listening to this book, she posted the cover art for the next book already. Yeah. It's a Relics of Ruin. Yeah. There's a preview in the uh, ebook version. There's a preview for it. So. Okay. Oh, cool. And then I guess the other thing that we kind of talked about so there was the one reveal in terms of that <coughs> the ruling class has some of that changeling blood. The other thing was that, uh, and we got the main part of this from the other timeline that he had basically switched Rodolfo had switched places with the changeling so that he could leave um and the thing was was that he looked very much like his brother so him 
being able to leave the cell, he just make it seem like it was his brother that had left the cell and not him. Right. Uh, well, but but it was also like when he switched with his brother, that was a changeling too, wasn't it? Well, that's what it's know. hard. It's hard. <laughs> Obviously. So what we also find out is that the Rodolfo in the the tunnel. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, the other thing we didn't talk about is it's a tunnel that leads outside the salt wall, which right. means changeling could come through. That person was also a changeling. Right. So, so the and, the real Adolfo, Rodolfo very possibly never showed up in the book. Right. Or was in those flashback scenes. We don't know. Uh, and and we don't know. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, one of the things, so one of the other big reveals in the tunnel was, this is one of Rodolfo's old caches uh, from back in the uh, the, the coup, uh, that he had, like, multiple, three or four other copies of Amadea slash Illyriana or whatever her, her name, right. potential name was, um, there as changelings, you know, frozen into that that form uh, with injected memories ready to go, uh, which then begs the question to me, well, so this Rodolfo was a changeling. How many of the Rodolfos are changelings? Are there multiple Rodolfos running around and we've never met the real one? And whose arm was it? Who and whose arm was it? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, did that changeling just change places with the brother because it then let had the brother die like could have happened and, i guess and, I don't know. yeah and, oh, honestly she has me questioning so much that i'm not even sure that rodolfo ever really had a brother or if that was just an invention from when he was younger he created a brother out of changeling um, maybe and then but, there are also in addition to the four that you're talking about there were additional changelings kind of also in a state of stasis mm-hmm. um, that may or may not have woken up, but they also the tunnel crash. So who right. knows what happened? So there's, there's yeah, there's, there's a lot of loose yeah. threads. Um, oh, yeah. you, you, you get a satisfying conclusion to the mystery of the book, but also there's a, there's, there's a lot more story. Yeah. And I think it was cool at the end still like, understand all of these affinities and alignments and stuff and i want to learn more about yeah so maybe we can too (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was interesting and like it's always cool to have you know i mean at the end of the day it's a bunch of librarians or archivists or whatnot that are are the people that are figuring this all out and driving Mm -hmm. most of the action so it's a little different. I mean, there's still some fight scenes and stuff, but it's not like... Not, not a lot. It was mostly just an investigative yeah. um, social as well. Armies. Yeah. Indeed. Erin Evans was mentioning about her likes of her of uh, mystery books and mystery stories. Mm-hmm. She wanted to do that in a fantasy. Yeah. No, in, in D&D terms, it, it leans heavily on the, the social and exploration um pillars without really diving much into the combat except for a few notable instances mostly at the climax um but and and you were mentioning all the uh, that there's all these other archive archivists too and um the typically in a book 
those characters would be kind of throwaway, like, okay, they're serving some sort of purpose to the story. They're helping reveal something about the main characters. I liked all of them. I want to know more about the, the stories of Zoifia and, and Tanuk. Uh, you know. <laughs> they had personality. They, they did. They were the statues. I haven't looked at them enough yet. Right. <laughs> How dare you? No, I, I, I enjoyed all of them, and I want to know more about their stories now. So Great. So, so kudos to, to Miss Evans. Um, I think we enjoyed this book. Yeah. No, and so, and I was so, I felt so bad writing that to you, because I didn't want anyone to think it was way too negative, because it's like, no, I really liked it. No. But, oh, gosh, it was a... It was, it was an accomplishment. You know, you know, at one point in my head, and so I was thinking about how I'm going to talk about this uh, a few days ago, and in my head, I likened it to Firefly. Um, Firefly was a you know the Joss Whedon space cowboy series um, that that is much adored by by its its niche of of fans. Um, when I watched Firefly for the first time, like I. I got why it had such a hard time getting started and finding an audience because like it starts really slow uh, and you just sort of jump right into this world without much explanation as to how the world, what the world is and how it works. Um, but once you get in, you know, once I got in four or five episodes, like I was hooked and now I can go back and watch it from the beginning. And I care about these characters now because I'd watched all the other episodes. And so now the first episode is good because I already know the characters uh, and I feel that this book works the same way. It takes me. It took me a while to really grok what was going on, to really get into it and understand it. And and I still don't really get the setting entirely, but I got what I needed to out of this, and I got what I needed to to understand the characters decently. Um, and now I feel like, and and Eric, you've already actually actually done this. Now I feel like if I went back and reread the book, I already care about the characters, so I'm already invested in all, and I would enjoy it more from the beginning than I did when I first read it. Was that your experience, Eric? That's my experience. I mean, like I said, I only got a quarter in before this recording. And, but yes, you're getting back in. And also, and part of the fun part also about mystery, you've experienced the first time the mystery. And the almost now can go back and like, where are the clues? Where are the stuff? And see if there is now. And you're seeing little hints like, oh, cool. Little, little details here. And yeah, there. cool. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I've, I'm tempted to go back and, and listen to it again, although I have a huge library of audiobooks right now that I really need to get through because um, I tried to update my phone recently and found out I don't have enough hard drive space on my phone. <laughs> so I need, to, I need to listen to some stuff. So, all right. Any other last thoughts, things you want to talk about before we let it go? Because it's been a good hour. Two quick ones. Um, just a warning for folks that might potentially want to listen to younger listeners there are real world like the like f-bombs in there and stuff like that mm -hmm. from what i remember uh and then i did notice a one well met which i think is something that is said more in forgotten realms but i'm not sure oh yeah that sounds familiar i mean well met is definitely a thing that's said in the realms um yeah and, so and, and a lot of and a lot of D, &D fantasy right um right. yeah I don't know if it's connected or not, but I know she had all that experience with it. I wonder if it right. slipped in uh, or isn't it? into her uh, writing style. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Any other last thoughts from you, Eric? 
No, I am looking forward to whenever the next book comes out. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will, will definitely want those. I'll probably be rereading the this book before reading the sure. right before the other one just to reformulate myself back in the world and yeah. I'm just kind of thinking the same thing that I might as soon as we decide to read the next one when it comes out then I'll probably re-listen to this one right away and then give myself plenty of time to read the other one I did a quick glance at the preview for the next book one of the first paragraphs has talks about uh, Rodolfo and him being somewhere so might be dealing more with Rodolfo in the next I would have expected but yeah he seems like he's, he's the sort of almost villain of the, the yeah. tale. So, All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode then. Uh, so it's time to say goodbye. I want to say thanks to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Special thanks to go out to Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, James Alessio, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, and ha- Michael Harrison. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email, thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me at Sarah Dark Magic on Twitter and SarahDarkMagic.com. That's with an H. Jeff is at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Eric, where can folks find you? You can find me at Eric M. Pack on Twitter, also on Mastodon on on Dice.com. Also, you can also, in May, in uh, Ottawa, we have Can Games, a local game convention. So if people are interested, registration for us is currently open. So you go to cangames.ca, so C-A-N-G-A-M-E-S dot C-A. And it's for Canadians, it's the May long weekend. Go, go, play, go play games with Eric. I've, I've, I've only ever had good experiences playing games with Eric. I think we played okay. a few games together at Gym Con. I believe so. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the show is at The Tome Show. You can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. Watch us live sometimes when we record yeah, live on well, Twitch. Maybe, maybe, maybe watch us show. live. <laughs> show notes and other great shows are at thetomeshow.com. Yeah. And for the record, I'm having a fight with, with OBS. Uh, that's why we've been streaming for several months now. And I don't know. Maybe I'll fix it someday. Maybe I won't. I even completely uninstalled the software and reinstalled it today, and that didn't fix it. So, whatever. Uh, anyway. That's our thoughts on Empire of Exiles. Next up in March, because it's totally not March right now, uh, we will be reading Road to Neverwinter, the movie tie-in book that also, for the movie that comes out this month. The Road to Neverwinter is the book that's supposed to tie into the main character and the barbarian. So we'll, uh, we'll dig into that next. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm not a